Welcome to the B-Ball Index Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor, and today we have special guest Cody Hodeck of Thinking Basketball fame. Cody, how you doing today? Um, I'm really excited about this. I've had my head in the historical hoops clouds for the last few weeks, so it's weird to like emerge and be like, wow, there's stuff that's actually happening in today's NBA, and uh, we'll, we'll see about talking about that. <laughs> Snap back to reality. We got, uh, we got free agency to talk about. Uh, before we dive into, we're going to cover a bunch of contracts that I thought were really good, contracts not really sure about. Uh, the DeAndre Ayton offer sheet to the Pacers actually got signed just a few hours ago. We're going to dive into that. But while I have you, you are uh, the resident Bucks expert. And I had just a few kind of random spitball questions about the Bucks that I, I've been curious about for honestly like years at this point. So I thought you're the man for, for the job, right? Oh, I'm excited about this. I could I could make this an hour and a half long bucks podcast if you wanted. <laughs> okay, so we'll we'll start with the fastball here. Uh, Middleton, he missed a lot of time or not a lot. He missed crucial time in the playoffs, and we saw uh, the Bucks offense really struggle. So this is something I'm I'm putting together like a top fifty player ratings uh, for the off season, and I kind of wanted to get your thoughts on the value uh, of Middleton versus Holiday, and maybe who you'd rather have. This is a really difficult question, and it's not because I'm trying to, like, not anger people, but I legitimately don't know if I can make that decision with these three. I know I I built it up before this like I was going to make some big proclamation, but honestly, (laughs) I think they both bring such unique skill sets to the table, especially next to Giannis, that I couldn't pick because what's really interesting is during the regular season, especially during this past season, Holiday took a step up offensively. Like, I thought that this was Drew Holiday's best offensive season. Defensively, I think when he ramped it up in the playoffs— he looked like peak holiday, but I don't think he sustained it like he did in years past. But offensively, like when he was a lone guy, when he was out there with Giannis, when he was out there without either Giannis or Middleton, he was like a 2010 sort of uh, 2010 per 75 sort of point guard on on solid efficiency. But then what happens is you get the, to the playoffs and these last two seasons, holiday's efficiency has like dropped significantly. I'm talking like a, a relative true shooting percentage of like 10 percentage points. It drops from the regular season to the playoffs. So while Holiday like can ramp up his passing and defense in the playoffs, like I think Middleton's tough shot making seems to be pretty steady through the regular season and the playoffs. And as you face tougher and tougher competition, he's the kind of guy that's going to really help buoy their offense. So his value doesn't seem to be as good when you're facing like lesser opponents. But when you get deeper into the playoffs and you start facing against these better defenses, I think that's when Middleton really starts to shine. And I think that's what showed up in the the finals against the, the Suns last season. So it's kind of that give and take where they both bring these sorts of play styles that the other one really can't replicate. So I can't pick, but I think they're both extremely valuable in this Bucks build. I was uh, I was doing the player rankings and I literally had them I had them literally right next to each other in the ratings and then at one point I flipped them and then like a, like a week later I flipped them back and I was like ah, I'm gonna have to I was like I'm having Cody on the show maybe this will this will help clarify this and it did not okay so, <laughs> but, okay. so let me let me let me help you a little bit if okay okay maybe maybe I'll get a little spicy then just for the people just for you Taylor I'm doing this just for you <laughs> but if I were building a team right now and I could only pick one of them to be on my team I would probably pick Drew Holiday because I think he's a little bit more flexible I think we saw the value of high level guard defense during the playoffs this season I know like I just talked about his efficiency tanks a lot and maybe it's because we didn't see Middleton that I don't appreciate him quite as much but I really appreciate Holiday's passing and defense and the fact that he can guard basically one through three at a pretty high level and some stretch fours to a degree so I think that's that's super valuable to have from a point guard position 
Well, I think I agree with you because I was doing a 2K fantasy draft last weekend and I took I did take Drew Holiday over Middleton, but I won't be lying if I I went back and forth uh, for quite a while. Okay, so next thing I want to talk about with the Bucks, Bobby Portis is a player that uh, I remember sitting on the couch, I think maybe two years ago with a friend and I was like, uh, oh, who, who's that guy? Like that, that guy's like kind of piquing my interest. And I feel like ever since that day, he's just been improving and improving every season like give me the give me the quick scouting report on where you see bobby portis kind of in the landscape of uh maybe like you know top 100 players in the league oh wow i'm definitely not answering that um i i wish i had all 100 players like mapped out in my head i'm not (laughs) i I can't even pretend to throw where where bobby portis would be but i think something this is maybe kind of a tangent but i think something that's really interesting is when you talk about improvement and i know you're, you're part of basketball index and i love the lebron metric i look at lebron uh, the the impact metric all the time. And some people will, I'm not saying this is what you do, but people will look at it and see a, a player's LeBron spiking or declining or something like that and being like, oh, look at how much better this player is. It's because his LeBron has improved, his, his defensive LeBron, LeBron, offensive LeBron. But I think it's also really important to look at the context in which players play. And I think Bobby, I think, I think Portis is in as ideal of a situation as he could be as a player. So he is maximizing his like contextual potential to a degree that's like really rare for an NBA player. Like if there's a type of big man that he would need to play next to, it's a guy like Giannis who uh, Portis can space the floor for maybe play a little bit more flexible defense, but he doesn't have to take like the brunt of the defensive assignment and like the driving work and the rebounding and stuff that Giannis does. Like Giannis covers all that while Bobby is still able to like stretch the floor and stuff. So I think because of that, he's in a great context and he's able to improve pretty much as well as he possibly could right now. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Like him being in like, this is pretty much the most optimal fit for him. Um, but he has just been shooting the lights out the last two years. Um, you know, he's working with lethal shooter. He's got those crazy triangle rims. He's working on in the off season. I don't know if you've seen those. <laughs> yeah, there was like, I forgot. There was a video on Twitter where that person just has like these continually, continually unhinged videos of like spikes <laughs> yes. and stuff. And I'm like, what? I hope this is real. I hope every NBA player is doing this and I hope this makes it to the all-star game soon. Yeah, they're like some of them are like carnival things where there's like multiple hoops moving at once. <laughs> yeah, man, it's wild. But another thing with Bobby, um, Marcus Johnson, a former Bucks player from the 80s, who's now uh, the one of the commentators for the Bucks, calls him Bobby Blitz because the the Bucks are famous for dropping on defense, even like Giannis drops a lot. But when Bobby is involved in a pick and roll, he's able to play up to the level. And that's because he's a pretty terrible rim protector. He's not a very good dropper, but he's agile enough that he can step out so when you need a more switchable lineup i think that's a really good role is you can you can put him out there instead of brook and then you get kind of a smaller counter to a small ball Mm, mm, interesting yeah i did just like a tiny bit of tape study like not maybe like eight minutes before this podcast earlier this morning and uh, i i just kind of liked him as a team defender it seemed like he had pretty good awareness yeah, I think that's a key to to Budenholzer's system, too. He, he fits really well in there with the drive and kick game. And as long as you try on defense, as long as you're like a physical and active defender, Budenholzer is going to trust you out there. Uh, and then all right, like just really quick wrapping up the Bucks talk, Javon Carter, uh, guard, bald guy, which makes it easier to, to it's a big thing for me is being able to quickly identify players on the court. Uh, his on ball D has like kind of piqued my interest. Um, you got anything on him? 
he should have played more in the playoffs. That's my thing. I, I think the George Hill minutes should have gone to Carter. And I think especially when the Bucks were maybe floundering a little bit more and they need a little bit more juice. Like Carter's just a guy that brings a lot more of that. Hill's a lot more, especially as he's gotten older. He's kind of a more relaxed player, catch and shoot. Obviously a long rangy defender, but not the defender he used to be when he was with the Pacers. But Carter's one of those guys that's just out there. And he's like in attack mode. Like you sick him on someone for like 94 feet and he's just in their yes. face. And I, I think the issue is that his size kind of holds him back from being a, an elite level per a point of attack defender, but he's definitely like a little pest when it comes to to guarding ball handlers 94 feet. Yeah, I was like, there's some aggression coming off this guy on defense, and I liked it. Uh, all right, so that's going to wrap up our Bucks talk. We're going to get into uh, free agency bonanza. We're going to be talking about the, the deals I like, the deals I didn't like. Quickly, uh, at the top, though, obviously, we got to talk, or actually not quickly. You can get into it as much as you want. Uh, DeAndre Ayton signs an offer sheet with the Pacers, four years at $33 million uh, a- average annual value. Uh, what is your reaction to that, Cody? I- I'm pretty tempered right now just because he is restricted so the suns what they have two days to respond to this right is i think that's correct yeah i think i think you're right yeah. i think i'm right too um <laughs> someone, someone fact check me get at me go back in time and make me correct myself on this podcast if i'm incorrect but i think the suns still have two more days to match that sheet and i'm really interested to see if they would do because if they don't you're just kind of letting eight and walk like that's my reaction is now the the ball is in phoenix's court so to speak here nice in the sense that like you can't just give eight up for nothing like you you should at least sign him to be able to trade him but if that's the case like why didn't it happen already that they signed and trade him so i think this is going to be a really interesting 48 hours to see how the suns are going to respond and to see if they have their high pick if they're just going to let him walk or if they're going to actually sign him and try and do something with him that's that's my first reaction is i'm just going to wait and see what else um dominoes from this initial move. Okay, so this just popped into my head. Has there ever been a first overall pick that plays pretty well for four years and just leaves in free agency where the team doesn't match the offer sheet? Wow. Like I can't think of any off the top of my head. That's like, an that would awesome be question. That would yeah. be strange, right? Oh, that would be extremely strange. I can't think of anyone off the top of my head. Um, uh, the only, th- the closest thing I can think of, man, Chris Weber, I think in the '90s. I don't remember exactly what it was. The '90s was a wild west time for contracts and st- stuff like that. So it's not like the exact sort of um, comparison. But I think when we're looking at modern NBA contracts, when it comes to like the exact rookie scales and stuff, I think this would be the first one. For the record, I told this to Cody, too, behind the scenes. I think I've said this on the podcast. Before 2008, I know nothing about basketball. I, I know Michael Jordan played, and Shaq was pretty good. And that's about it. <laughs> oh, that's incredible. So I was just about to say, I can make stuff up and just tell you, but then there's going to be an audience that's like, wait a second, this Cody's full of BS. Like, after 2008, I know what you're talking about. I know if you're blowing smoke. But before, <laughs> it's, I, I, don't, I don't know. It's basically like like b you know there's like a d and bc it's just bc to me where i'm like i don't know it's the past the ancient past <laughs> well you should look up chris weber's contract because i think there was some some interesting stuff that was going on there in, in general there were a lot of weird contract stuff um especially in the in, in the 90s and 80s and whatever else was signing these really long contracts and like um, the scotty pippen contract yeah exactly stuff like that so um yeah i don't know i'm i'm in wait and see and not super reacting to ayton at this point um, but if this happens, I guess if it does happen, if it does go to the Pacers, if we're going to talk hypothetically, which we should, cause that's more fun. I guess my first thing is what happens with Turner? 
Like, they're not going to keep trying to do this song and dance at this point. Like, if they couldn't get... I mean, I guess Sabonis is basically a five on offense. Um, I don't think they want to keep doing the song and dance with a five and a four with Turner, but I know Aiton's also talked about being able to play the four. So, uh, who knows? I think this would be another opportunity for them to trade Turner. But again, that's something that hasn't happened for the last four years when it's been coming up. Yeah, I feel like he's been on the trade block for, like, like before COVID, he was on the trade block. Oh my God. Like. Yes. Yes. Uh, okay. Two points about Aiden before we move on. One, there's that video where he walks on his hands, which was absolutely insane. Yeah. I was telling Cody before the show, like, how many seven footers in the history of world, of the world could walk on their hands. And two is Aiden. How do I put this? The most versatile finishing big you've ever seen. Wow. Um, not maybe not maybe not the most dominant maybe not the best but in terms of where he can catch it on the on the court and finish i don't think i've ever seen anyone with like in football you talk about like catch radius or something like that like his finish radius is is not only can he stretch it out but it's at every like every half step like there's no dead zones you know what i mean that's really interesting so i have throughout the season i called him the best like 10 foot finisher like within 10 feet, I think uh, I want to credit Z- uh, Zach, <laughs> wrong Levine. I want to credit Scott Levine for coming up with that, uh, I think a season and a half ago. But I think that's still true. Is he's he's maybe the best finisher within 10 feet, just purely based on that. Um, I mean, obviously, Jokic and Embiid have to be in that conversation, too, just because of their finishing abilities. But I think if we're talking all time, something that holds Aiton back a little bit is I don't think he has like a strong post-up game package like he doesn't have a bunch of post-up moves he's going to throw you to he has a couple of his go-tos like he's really good at going to his hook he's got a nice little turnaround jumper but if you go historically like kevin McHale in the 80s for instance um just a tremendous like he had multiple moves in the post where you could fake you out but he was also really good at just catching and and finishing with a quick little jump shot um akima lajuan so, again so with somebody on. else sorry yeah. before i cut you off i guess i didn't i maybe i didn't phrase that question well enough i didn't mean finishing as like you dump the ball off to him i'm talking and a guard breaks down the defense and then when he like i guess maybe the best dump off player oh okay no i, in, I still in terms of like... versatility not in terms of you know there was there was more dominant dump off players where it's just like you dump it off it's a two-handed dunk get out of the way you know type thing yep. but with yep. Aiden, it's it's the push shot it's like a little hook it, it i feel like it can it can move all the way back to a jump shot yeah, I mean, I still think like Kevin McHale falls in that list and like Hakeem Olajuwon, both of them could like Olajuwon especially could get like finished with power and whatever else. And he still had a lot of post moves and stuff and he could finish off the dump off. So I don't necessarily want to put him in an all time tier yet because I also think free throws have to be involved with that. And that's not something that he's able to do mm-hmm. to a high level at this point. Um, but yeah, he's he's at least like a top tier finisher within the players that are playing in the NBA right now. Because I think of a guy like uh, Holmes on the Kings, uh, the best mm. push shot I've ever seen. Mm. And uh, that's what made me. I was like, I, I was for some reason, I call me crazy. The last two years, I watched a bunch of Kings games. And uh, wow, <laughs> it's the West Coast. I'm in San Diego. Sometimes there's no other game on. And Good for you. Sometimes Holmes would just knock down like four or five push shots in a quarter and it would be like wild. And it was this weird dead zone like in between. It was outside the restricted circle and not quite at the it wasn't quite a jumper because it wasn't like at the at the elbow yet. Yeah. And uh, and then I started seeing Aiden like Aiden in the playoffs, not this previous season, but the season before against the Lakers in the first round. It was just absurd. Like every time he touched the ball, it was going in and it was on a different spot on the floor every time. That's kind of what piqued my interest in the in kind of the conversation. 
I agree with that. And he fits in so well with the system that the Suns run, especially next to Booker and, and Paul. So I think like those skills, again, are are amplified next to them. Absolutely. With Chris Paul. It's the thing kind of we talked about with Bobby Portis, where it's like, exactly. are you in the best possible situation for your skill set? I think so. Exactly. Exactly. And uh, shout out Brandon Clark, who also has a great floater push shot sort of thing. He gets really high on it and just floats it up from like he has like a 15 foot range on that thing. I will have to check that out. I I I am a big fan of the push shot. Uh, all right, so let's go through a little bit of a rapid fire uh, on deal. These are the deals I liked, and then I'll, I'll give you the the player, the years, uh, how much money, uh, average salary for for the contract, and, uh, and let me know what you think. So first, we're gonna go with Bobby Portis. He gets a four year deal, twelve million a year, uh, stays with the Bucks. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. Uh- I'll be honest with you. I'm not always great at like looking at the money and being like, oh, this is perfect value. This is how much his value is per dollar or something like that. But I love that he's coming back. That's what I'm happy about. Sure. Pay the man his money. Bring him back. I think a a lot of the times I'm a little bit of a cold hearted shark when it comes to the finances of the NBA because it's so important. But I feel like Mm -hmm. Bobby was a guy who, you know, we just talked about this, has improved quite a bit, is in a really optimal situation. And I feel like four years is maybe a little much for him, but I really like that kind of like, hey, we've been winning a lot. You've been part of this. Uh, We're going to. You know, we're trying to keep everybody around here happy. I, I thought it was a honestly kind of a classy move by the Bucks organization to give him that fourth fourth year. Twelve million dollars isn't crazy, and he is a valuable player. Uh, he's got a little crazy to him, which I like for the playoffs. And uh, yeah, I'm an overall, I'm a fan of the move. I think what's really, I think what's necessary to do with this is to stack it up against all their contracts. And I'm looking at this. I think this is accurate for the 23 season. It's on ESPN, so I'm hoping it's it's correct. It's not on ESPN. I just lied to you. It's um, oh, this is embarrassing. I'm just clicking around tabs here, stalling for a second. It is. I was on gonna ESPN. say, w- watch out. You might get ball sacked. Yeah, <laughs> I promise this is not on ball sack sports. Um, but next year it looks like uh, I I don't know what he's being paid is around the hundred to hundred twentieth biggest contract. So ultimately, do you think he lands in the hundred to hundred twentieth player? Sure. So I think in context of everyone else that signed, that looks like a number I'm okay with. I think if I'm throwing a dart right now, I might, I might get him in like the top 80 players. So it seems like a good value. Good. I love uh, it. Moving on, Gary Payton, the second. Uh, he goes to the Blazers on a three year, uh, eight million average salary. And the Blazers have needed like guard defenders for so long. I absolutely love this move. Let me ask you a question. Uh, do you, how much draft stuff do you do? Are you, are you a draft guy? I had Chip jones on <laughs> two weeks ago and okay. everything he told me is all i know about the draft i won't ask you anything about shade and sharp then because i also don't do draft stuff so i have no idea but when i look at the top six so see i'm looking at uh lillard who i'm hoping is going to be fresh healthy again because when he is he's flirting with a top 10 player in the nba so we have lillard simons uh jeremy grant over there josh hart has signed with him yusuf nurkic uh gary payton the second it's an interesting top six. What do you think? And I guess even Shaden Sharp for a seventh there. What do you think would I tell you that core of six, seven guys? Um, I think they were eight. Well, didn't you forgot about, uh, did you mention the, the wing they traded for, uh, the Pistons? Who, who did I forget? Who he used to be forget? on the Nuggets. Jeremy. Uh, oh, Jeremy Grant. I said Jeremy Grant. Oh, you said Jeremy. Oh, sorry. I didn't hear that. Yep. Um, yep. I, I think that's a decent, I think that's a decent core of guys. I guess I'm just confused at like, at the trade deadline, you get rid of Robert Covington, who is one of the best three and D players in the league. And you get rid of Norman Powell, who's a 
intriguing offensive player that shoots the three extremely well where I I'm confused when you you basically fire sale those guys and they're valuable players I think that translate to the playoffs and then you make these moves in the offseason I guess I feel like the Blazers feel a little rudderless right now as Dame slowly ages yeah, I think that's a fair assessment of what's going on. I think, obviously, when you go back and you look at some of those deals, you're like, hmm, do you is this really the direction you want us to go in? Were you trying to rebuild? Were you going to – so I'm not really sure. Also, trading C.J. McCollum last season, I'm not, I'm not 100% sure of what's going on, especially with the Simon signing, which I know you're probably going to get to at some point in this conversation. But, again, you have a good player, so you have to keep him. But then you're kind of back to where you were with having two shot-making guards that aren't great on defense – um, I'm not hundred percent sure. I don't know how much better they're going to be. Obviously they'll be better than last season. Cause hopefully Lillard will be healthy, but I at least look at that top six, top seven guys. And I'm like, there's kind of something going on here. I'm interested in. Yeah. I, I think that they made uh, like the players that they retained and brought in. I, I, it's not that I dislike them. I guess I'm just, I'm confused about the direction that the ship is pointed yeah um but i love the gary payton signing because like like you alluded to for the longest time they had two guards that could score that did not play defense and they got a guy who was like you know what i do i play defense (laughs) yes he's he's a great uh great pickup next to simons and lillard uh otto porter jr he leaves golden state he goes to the raptors on a super uh affordable two-year deal at six million a year and I really like Otto Porter Jr.'s game. He can space. He is okay. So there's this thing in the NBA, right, where they're like, we're just going to play two small forwards and it's not going to be a big deal. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Otto Porter has some like old man game to him. He's he's pretty like a thick guy. He's very tough and rebounds super well. And I think there's more ideal fits for that kind of like stretch four player or secondary small forward player. And I feel like Otto Porter Jr. fits that perfectly and the Raptors I feel like got an absolute bargain I'm gonna zag on this one a bit I don't love this <laughs> I I love Otto Porter Jr. I think there were points in the playoffs though especially in the finals where he was looking uh his lack of self-creation looked like he was going to be hurting the Warriors and I think he lost some of his minutes for that even though at some point did you know he was shooting like above a hundred percent shooting yes he point? was shooting of the lights out yeah he was incredible but here's the thing with the Raptors I swear that half their roster is what you just described and is what like Otto <laughs> Porter is. And at this point, like especially with Fred Van Vliet as their their main point guard and Gary Trent Jr. being like their their two guard, like no one on there besides Siakam is a real paint toucher. Like Siakam can sometimes fall in love with his his mid range ball a little bit, and no one else there is like someone that's gonna like drive in, draw the defense, kick out, and whatever else. And I love this kind of pickup if you have guys that are able to do that so I, I hope at some point the the raptors are able to pick up somebody that can kind of you know get two feet in the paint can break down defense can start the dominoes falling whatever uh platitude you want to use for for creation um so that's how i feel i love the player but in this context i'm like man i would have rather seen you in a different context i think those are very good points i guess i was more thinking about an isolation getting a player with that skill set at that price i really liked a lot I think you're absolutely right. I've never really thought about that further. I'm going to be honest. I've watched 
I watched zero Raptor games last year. Um, mm. <laughs> fair, fair enough. That's but fair. Uh, hey, I, I, I'm going to be honest with you. Um, I think that that lack of paint touching is a very that is a problem with that team that I think I'm going to fixate on for a few weeks. <laughs> yeah, I, and I think that's definitely something they should be fixating on at this point. And obviously, a lot of their uh, building is in flux with this Kevin Durant conversation just looming over them. Um, and obviously Kevin Durant fixes a lot of things. Not that they need a lot of fixing. It's just, I think that's the kind of player they should be looking for as a, a paint touching guard of some sort. That makes sense. Uh, moving on, Kyle Anderson, two years at 9 million. Oh, I feel like I should maybe recap this, like the salary just because it, it is sort of hard. So basically like in my eyes, tell me if you, I know, I know you said you're not a big salary guy, but in my eyes, if you're getting paid under $10 million a year, you're just a role player. If you're over 10 million, uh, you're like a, a starter in minutes, right? Or in, in role. And then when you start getting to like 25 million plus, that's where you start getting to like the like real needle movers of the league. Yeah, that I mean, that sounds like a nice little heuristic for sure. Yeah, just like try to try to simplify it. But Kyle Anderson, two years at nine million, not a super long contract. He's going to the Timberwolves. Uh, he leaves Memphis. I feel like he's just a good glue guy. He gives you, uh, I feel like a lot of roster flexibility of how you want to send lineups out because he can play the four. Um, and just kind of give you a little bit of everything. What I really like about him going to the Wolves is I think you can play him next to either Gobert or Cat. I think his fit is better next to Towns than with Gobert, just because I think, uh, you know, we saw in the playoffs, teams kind of dared uh, Anderson to shoot a little bit more, and he's not really comfortable taking a bunch of wide-open shots. So next to Towns, that's not as much of a problem. But, you know, this is a flexible defender that you know Gobert hasn't had a lot of flexible defenders in the last couple of years next to him and yeah you're absolutely right he can fit into a lot of different builds there might even be a lineup where he plays next to Towns and Gobert so that sort of flexibility is perfect with what the Timberwolves are doing uh did you ever see that uh was it in China the robot that could shoot threes yeah it's crazy (laughs) did you see someone compare Kyle Anderson's shot to that robot on Twitter Because oh. it's like uncanny. It's like the same exact thing. Oh, that's awesome. I think they've moved at the same pace, too. Uh, yeah, that, it was, uh, you know, there's a lot of complaining on Twitter, but every once in a while you get something like that. And it it, it, it makes me pretty happy. Um, next up, Dante DiVincenzo is a player I really like a lot. He got a two years, super small contract, two years, 4.5 million uh, annual value going to the Warriors. Basically, I think replacing Gary Payton as that uh, on-ball defensive guard, uh, he was, oh, I guess you know about this guy because he's on the Bucks. I really liked him a lot, and then he got injured and then kind of came back last year and struggled a little bit. But I think the Warriors, because they're spending so much money on their other players, I feel like at four and a half half million dollars for a player like Dante I, I like it yeah I was pretty sad with the Bucks getting rid of him especially for getting Ibaka who really didn't play any meaningful minutes in the playoffs so that one still kind of hurts um something that really helps with DiVincenzo you know he's a great shooter I think he's a better shooter than Gary Payton defensively he's not even in the same stratosphere and that's very few players are even in the same stratosphere as Gary Payton um but he can play at the point of attack and he's a physical defender he's just not going to be quite the wrecking baller be able to play up and guard someone like Jason Tatum as well as uh Gary Payton did but I think as somebody that like you can spread the floor with can make some pretty basic decisions I, th- I think he's a solid he's okay off the bounce but I think something that's going to stand out now that he's more on a national stage I mean I guess I don't know how much more national need to be than uh on the championship winning team last year but he's not a great (laughs) finisher 
it, it's kind of shocking his his lack of English on his shot. Like sometimes he'll like go up with a shot and it'll just smash against the backboard. I'm like, man, you could have done that a little bit softer. So that, that, that's my complaint about him offensively. But uh, shooting wise, uh, being able to play a two, maybe a super small three. Um, yeah, that's great. I, I love this pickup for them. Uh, yeah, I, I kind of feel like he's like, he's, yeah, GB2 is more of like all NBA defender and Dante DiVincenzo is just like a positive defender is kind of how I look at it. Yeah, I like that. Uh, JaVel McGee going to the Mavericks, leaving the Suns, uh, three years at 6 million a year. I feel like JaVel's, I feel like he's always been one of the the better bargains. It feels like he's a free agent every other year. Uh, and I'm really excited to see him as a lob threat for Luca because he is one of the best in the league at it. And Luca is uh, a literal wizard. I don't know how, like what his minutes are going to look like though, because I look at this team and they still have Dwight Powell. They still have Maxi Kleba. They just got Christian Wood. Like that's, that's four big men. And I, I don't know where JaVale McGee fits into those minutes. Like, is this like, is this backup just in case Christian Wood isn't able to play in certain spots in the playoffs? But then again, JaVale McGee is not super flexible. So yeah, in a vacuum, this is again, another sort of player that I really like seeing on teams, especially high level teams, because he's shown with the, the Warriors, at least when he was, uh, you know, in their championship runs, that he's a very valuable role playing center. But again, there's kind of a log jam at that position for the Mavericks. So sure, I think he'll look interesting in his minutes, but I really don't know how many minutes he'll get. And I don't know if I'm making too big of a deal out of a guy making six million a year. <laughs> um, I so OK, Dwight Powell is a player that I kind of have a soft spot for because I'm like, you have enough. You're showing enough heart play to play where like I am factoring that in to my evaluation like he hmm. is trying quite hard um but he just has some limitations i think he's 610 it's not the tallest big uh, i think he also tore his achilles um i think that maybe zapped a little bit of his juice i think javel just sort of eats into his minutes um you know i think javel somewhere you know 18 minutes a game i don't think it's gonna be crazy i think the christian wood he's a one-year rental that if, i mean i on paper, you like it. We'll see how it works out in reality. I think uh, Maxi Kleba is probably the the best of of the four. If I was going to pick them, uh, but I don't know. I just think you know you want depth at the big position. You can sustain an injury there, no problem. Um, and yeah, I think McGee just kind of eats into Powell's minutes because I think he's just a better rim protector and a better lob threat. And I think in that role on their offense, that's all they're really and defense that that's all they really want out of that spot. I think that's fair. I think Dwight Powell's probably better defending on the perimeter than JaVel McGee. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think that was a key to the Mavericks defense last season too, which was really good. So we'll, we'll see. I, I, I think you're probably right where he'll play in that 15, 18 minute range and really play backup if anyone gets injured or if that Achilles really starts to flare up or something like that. So um, yeah, that's a good signing. I think I would have rather see him on a team with less of a log jam at that position though. Uh, yeah, I, I see what you're saying. I guess if you're the, if you're, if you're a McGee fan, you're like, how's this going to work out? But if you're a Mavs fan, you're like, oh, we got a lot of depth here. If we need to, yeah. if, if we, I think really valuably, if we need to make a trade in the middle of the season, you have, uh, various players, um, that overlap that also have uh, a little bit different, uh, cause you have to match money, you know, when you're trading players. And I feel like any of those, those four bigs you could use in a trade to bring somebody else over. And I think, I think the Mavericks might be positioning themselves to do something like that soon. I don't know. Yeah. I, that sounds right to me. 
Uh, and then lastly, the last uh, free agent signing I really liked was Malik Monk. Two years at $9 million a year. He goes to the Kings, and he's just a very good offensive player. He's a strong shooter. Um, he's got a little bit of electricity to his game. Not a defender at all. Um, if you see his weight, <laughs> that I, I don't know how he could really overcome that and ever become a plus defender. Uh, but as an offensive player, I like him, and uh, I feel like at $9 million, you're you're getting a, a pretty good value. I think the one thing I'm looking at, um, is this going to push K, uh, Davion Mitchell from getting minutes? So I guess he'll be may, uh, Fox's main backup. But, you know, we have Fox, we have Mitchell, Keegan Murray, who I guess is going to be playing the small forward at this point, maybe. I don't know. I don't do draft things. He could be a center for all I know. Um, Monk, <laughs> did I say Herder? I don't know. They just have a lot of guards right now. And... This is a good signing. I feel like Monk is the kind of guy that maybe you would like to see on a higher level team. Um, but yeah, I, I think this is an interesting pick. I actually think that the Kings are going to be one of the more interesting teams to watch next year. Not necessarily because of Monk, but, uh, you know, having a high draft pick, being able to see Fox and Sabonis together uh, for more of a season, getting Kevin Herter there. They just have a lot of interesting pieces. Harrison Barnes is still there and is a very good player. So I, I don't know if they're going to stick with this entire squad or if they're going to start trying to make some trades and try and push what they have. I'm not really sure, but I'm interested in where the Kings are. And I think they should be kind of fun. Good for you. You'll actually get to watch a fun Kings team next year. <laughs> uh, I mean, the way I see it, right, you have Fox. So you're going to need to put shooters around him. Uh, and Malik does match that. It does. You know, I, I feel like the Kings have had this issue where they they do go for offensive players that don't play a ton of defense. But I'm also just of the opinion you're adding talent to a team that needs talent. And like, I, I guess really what we've we've come to the conclusion here on these last couple of players, McGee and Monk, is like I want like the good teams have log jams of talent, right? Ideally. Yeah. And the bad teams don't. OK. <laughs> yeah, that, that's fair. That's very fair. Like, uh, you know, those old school coaches that are always like, ah, we're going to have a lot of competition in camp. We're going to be playing for spots, you know, uh, next me, man up mentality. <laughs> me at the analytics company is is that coach yelling, uh, come on, I got to see how much you want it. <laughs> uh, that's right. that's what I want to see. I want to I want to see you tweeting this every other game <laughs> like, ah, who wants it more from this team? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you have the LeBron metric, which, you know, captures your overall impact. And then there's the Taylor metrics uh, thing that just measures heart, want, <laughs> desire, grit, and uh, all the things that really matter. I call you the stethoscope from now on. <laughs> uh, okay, so those are the deals I liked. Let's flip it to the deals I'm not sure about, mostly because I want to cover myself in case I'm wrong later. Um, but let's start with Anthony Simmons. He, uh, gets four year deal. He stays with the Blazers, uh, 25 million a year. He's always been someone that can shoot, but sort of like Malik Monk, he is a small person. Uh, he had a really good last few months when the Blazers were, uh, basically a G league team. And, uh, he's always been a bad defender, but looked like he, he did show some things on offense. And it was one of those things where it's like, well, he's a free agent. Now he just started playing really well. You're going to have to throw some money at him to keep him. You got to try to keep Dame happy. Dame's, I think 32, you got to do something. And I feel like this is just one of those things where it's like, I cross your fingers. You want to tie him into the next person? Because you also want to talk about Nurkic here, too. And I think it's it's good to encapsulate all of these guys. Yeah, so so Simmons, he gets four years, $25 million a year, which is quite a bit. But he did show he he was more than a spark at the end of the year. And then Nurk, they re-signed to a four-year deal uh, at $17 million a year, which isn't 
bad money for him because like he you know he he does have some some he's you know he's a legit nba player he's gonna have a 10-year career but ever since his injury he hasn't been quite the same the four years was kind of a big commitment but hey i don't know maybe this is that you know they got gary payton for three years they got simmons they brought him back for four they bring back nurk for four uh maybe they're trying to be like hey dame you've been talking about being loyal this whole time like we're trying to put like our money where our mouth is i don't know yeah so Talking about Nurkic here, because he's he's still 27 at this point, if I'm not mistaken, I think. So Nurkic is still fairly young, and I know his his impact, his abilities have kind of declined since that injury. But before that, I really liked him as being kind of one of those rare centers that was a really – not really good. He was a very good passer and a strong defensive player. And I think maybe with him still being pretty young, like I feel like when you see most big men – they kind of start peaking 27 to 30-ish. They start understanding positional awareness things and, and things like that more. And maybe last year was just a super weird year for the Blazers with Dame being injured and them trying to, to tank and all this other stuff. But between him, Simons being what? He's 23, 24 at this point. Um, I don't know. You're just locking in some fairly young-ish guys for the next few years, trying to build some continuity, see what you can get from there. And I know you have two guards with Lillard and Simons who are like really not good defensive players. But then you have Josh Hart, who's at least like a serviceable defensive player. Jeremy Grant, who's not great on the perimeter, but I think he's a really good help side defender, uh, especially at the four spot next to somebody else that's, that's an, also a good rim protector. And then Nurkic, if he can get anywhere near to his rim protection, protecting prowess, and he could even step out on the perimeter a little bit and defend in, in spots before his injury. So I think it's almost like a bet on this guy that you've had around for a couple of seasons. So, um, again, maybe I'm feeling just a little bit more positive because I'm like, you have some good possible players here. Why not keep them instead of losing them out on the market? I, I think that's understandable. And, you know, it's not like this is not a bad. Like, these are these are players that are going to be rostered on any team. It's not like we're, you know, we're at the bottom of the barrel here. Uh, I guess it's just I just it's kind of the thing with like the Pacers right now where it's just like they, they just signed eight into an offer sheet. And I'm like, which way are you going? Are you going <laughs> west, east or west? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, th I think that's fair. Like the the rudderlessness, I think that's something that you said earlier. I think that's a good way to describe the last couple seasons of moves for them. Uh, all right, next uh, contract, DeAndre Jordan gets a one year uh, being basically vet minimum with the Nuggets. How is he rostered, Cody? Man, this is I mean, like Doc Rivers stopped playing him and. Yeah, I, like, I, don't, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say about this one. Like there's no juice left in the juice box. You can keep squeezing. There's nothing in there. I mean, if you want to like find somebody that's diametrically opposed to what Jokic does on the court, including <laughs> like how good Jokic is, like sure. Like, yeah, Jordan does all of that really well. And like theoretical Jordan is good six years ago, Jordan. But like, man, I feel bad. Like there's still moments where you're like, wow, he's big. He can rebound. He can rim protect. But I, I don't know. I think there's other directions this team could have gone here. All right. You ready? I'm putting my my uh, tinfoil cap on. So uh, plus minus is a big part of uh, the analytics community, right? Oh, I love where you're going with this. Um, Keep going. Keep going. And, you know, Jokic jo has won back-to-back uh, -back MVPs, right? And Keep part going. of that, Keep going. he has been buoyed by very, very strong analytics numbers. Yep. So if you are the Denver Nuggets and you say, hey, we got 15 guys on this team, they're not all going to play, right? If we could maybe add someone to get some spot minutes here or there 
to possibly drive up Joker's plus minus. Because, I mean, you have Joker out there, maybe getting a triple-double in three quarters. You throw DeAndre Jordan out there in the fourth quarter, and you might be able to trick maybe a few uh, all-in-one stats. Listen, folks. Listen, 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 listen. Basketball Index right now is telling you that Jokic is is the fake impact guy. That's not me saying that. This is Basketball Index saying this. That's Basketball Index saying this. That was not Cody Hodak. Taylor. Taylor No, no. I'm not saying it's fake, but I'm just saying if one were to try to maybe cheat the system, it will not not work. No, no, actually, here's the thing. It will not work on LeBron because we have luck adjusted. Uh, plus um, minus so that so not not so much me i was more throwing mud at maybe some of the other all-in-one metrics <laughs> i love that that's excellent that's a that is a wonderful wonderful conspiracy theory yeah i think it's a good one uh, you know do you want to hear a couple other conspiracy theories i got oh please I'm okay so they have to do with the nba no nothing not not at all um so bitcoin <laughs> right oh, nobody no. knows who created bitcoin right sure okay okay do you remember coco the gorilla that knew sign language no. What, so Coco was this gorilla, a new sign language. It had a pet cat. It was friends with Robin Williams, right? So what I'm thinking here is, so Planet of the Apes, right? So the gorillas, they get super intelligent. They got to take over the world. You can't take over the world without money. So I think Coco the gorilla started Bitcoin. So we would all get really excited about it, invest in it. Then when the gorillas are ready to take over, they whatever, take the super intelligent monkey gas. And then Coco has the original Bitcoin wallet, right? Which has people estimate thousands, if not tens of thousands of Bitcoin. And I think that's how the Planet of the Apes uh, revolution is funded. You are in your bag right now, young man. You are in your bag. This is this is something else. I'm honored to be sitting here in in an audio medium listening to you talk right now i this was tough for me because this is one of my first date stories this is how i try to hook the girls because i know one girls love crypto and they love planet of the apes so uh (laughs) but i'm using it here i'm retiring it from the first date everyone in the basketball index podcast realm uh this is this is the best i have to offer Oh, my God. This is incredible. (laughs) Okay, back to basketball. Uh, P.J. Tucker, three years, $11 million a year going to the 76ers. Um, I just wrote in the notes AARP joke. (laughs) It seems like you're zagging from people, though, because it sounds like people in the media like the fact that Tucker's on this team now, and they think it's a detriment to Miami that he's no longer on the roster. Uh, This year? What what is P.J. Tucker? What is he? What is he? 53? (laughs) What is he? 47? (laughs) He's he's old. He's up there. He's definitely up there. I, I'm just again, it's not this year. It might be fine. But like at a certain point, father time, he's not Julio Franco pinch hitting at 56 years old. Like he's got to play basketball that year three of that deal. Are you like someone's going to that, that's going to be like a stretch provision and he's going to be getting paid until like 20, like 27. I would I would imagine. Oh, is that is that going to be a, a prediction for me right now? Tucker's going to get stretched before the end of this contract. Oh, yeah, you can take that to the bank. It's going to be mm. like uh, the Lakers were paying Luau Dang until like last year. <laughs> I know. I think it just ended in this offseason uh, which, or last offseason. I don't even remember. It was, it's, it was off the books at the end of this year. Mm-hmm. Um, OK, so next up. Well, do you have any other thoughts on PJ? Nope. Uh, Pat Connington, uh, three years, 10 million a year to stay with the team. Now, this is kind of in that category of Bobby Porter. So like, hey, we're keeping the band together. Is this an overpay? I don't know. 
I also don't really know. Like when you look at 10 million, that puts him in the 130th ish range of all contracts in the NBA for next season. Do I think he's the 130th best player? I'm not hundred percent sure, but especially after getting rid of DiVincenzo, I, I think this is the kind of guy that you need to hang on to. And I think they have the roster to win a championship. They just lost their second or third best player during the playoffs last season. I'm not saying they would have won it all. I don't want to play that hypothetical, but like they lost one of their best chances to do that. And I think you have to keep it all together here. And Connaughton kind of fits, like I was saying, he fits into that Budenholzer mold for guys that get minutes. Like he's not a great defender, but he's a physical defender. He's going to get in your face. He can hit spot up three point shooting. His, his shooting last season was off the charts. Um, I thought his offensive improvement in general was really, was really impressive. And, you know, I, I think he complements the big three just really, really well. So maybe like if it is an overpay, I think it's only a slight overpay. And I think that's that's the, the price of being a championship level team is that you're going to have to overpay for for all parts of your roster. Yeah, I'm picking up what you're putting down. And then also, I feel like once I, I just kind of thought of this, once you're that far over the cap, like you just do have to retain the players you have because you're not going out in free agency. So, exactly. Yeah, no, I, I, I feel I feel you there. Um, Marvin Bagley, the third three years at $12 million a year to stay with the Pistons. He got traded there in the middle of the season has been a bust. I think his career, uh, LeBron war is like two. So he's two wins above a replacement player in four years. Is the, the Pistons, is there a floor to the cap? Is this the Pistons just trying to get over the cap floor? I honestly don't know. My first reaction when I see this, though, is we we're looking at a 22 year old here. Right. And an athletic 22 year old that obviously you watch him play and you're like, wow, if this guy puts it together, he's going to be incredible. And I feel like, again, going back to what I was saying about Nurkic, like 27 to 30th is usually to 30 years old is when big men usually start peaking. So I think they might just be betting on youth here. They already have a super young team. There's no reason for the Pistons to try and rush and everything. So why not try and take a flyer on this high draft pick that might pan out to be something? And if he's going to pan out, it's going to be next to two creators like Cade Cunningham, who's great at at getting into the paint and kicking out and whatever else. It is next to uh, who is it? Jaden Ivey, who's apparently really quick off the bounce and get into the paint can dump off. So I think this is like an ideal rebuilding situation where he can develop. And if it doesn't work out for them, it, it doesn't hurt their their championship timeline because they're not even close to that right now. So I honestly, I, again, I don't hate this one. I will say in defense of it, he did when he got traded over to the Pistons, Cade started throwing him lobs and there was a little bit of a connection there, I thought. Uh, so there is something I guess I'm just con- I just confused three years at at twelve million dollars a year is just like uh, uh, strange. But I. I I guess it doesn't matter because they're not up against the cap. Um, so those are the deals I am not so sure about. Let's go to the guys that are still available. Cody, how how do you feel about Colin Sexton? Um, what What is his contract situation? Is, is he still with the Cavs for a while? He's a restricted free agent. Oh, okay. So I think Sexton's really interesting. I think, because, oh man, if, if I make you talk about this and I'm wrong, that'd be, I'd feel like an idiot. You know what? That's great. We'll just talk about looking at a cord I thought I pulled out. Uh, let's talk <laughs> about hypothetical Sexton here for a second. So I feel like before Garland really had his breakout season this year, it kind of sort of looked like the the Colin Sexton offense in Cleveland. Although a bunch of my smart friends even two years ago or or the, the previous season were like, no, look, Garland's going to be the answer. So shout out to anyone that said that to me wow. a year and a half ago. Yeah, people, people were on top of Garland. Um, so I think the key is like, 
what will he look like coming back and fitting into a Garland-centric offense? Because this is an offense that didn't quite crack even like league average with Garland out there. And when you have somebody that has the shooting prowess of Sexton, maybe that works out offensively. And I know all of a sudden we have two um, two not great defensive players. Like Garland is very clearly a negative on defense. Uh, Sexton is a negative on defense. But then you have two just top tier defensive bigs in Mobley and Allen. So I think that's a really fun push and pull. It's like, can we counter these smaller guards with these just massive, massive big men that are able to switch around, protect the rim and things like that. So I think that's the interesting direction that they would be going. If the Cavs end up keeping Colin Sexton, we also got a Coro, Isaac Okoro and Dean Wade, who have pretty strong D LeBron numbers. So there's, there's a couple defenders on that team, uh, that I mean, last year their defense was pretty nasty. Uh, Sexton's a guy I did watch some tape on, and I was like, "Wow, I, w- I was pretty impressed." Uh, it didn't quite match up when I started to do the. Uh, this is kind of going to transition into our, our next thing of like how we evaluate players. But when I went to you know the box score, when I dug into uh, the BBI database, I wasn't super blown away by the analytics, but I did like what I saw on tape because like I was like, "Oh, there's there's some juice here." Um, so I don't know. He's like one of those guys where you ever like in fantasy football or or anything like that. You're just like, I'll let someone else draft them because I'm just not sure enough Mm -hmm. to commit. See, I do a lot of all time drafts and I feel that about a lot of players, but you know, I, I have smart people in my life that are really big Sexton fans. So, um, I'm going to listen to them for right now. And I'm going to say, I think it would be interesting if they brought him back. All right. All right. Okay. So here's a player that I have. I will not stop talking about Uh, Compazzo. He was the backup guard on the Nuggets. Didn't have a great year this year, but am I crazy, Cody? Am I crazy? This is an inexpensive guard that is probably a slight positive on defense. As far as guards go, D LeBron likes him. Uh, He's got some playmaking. He's a little dirty. And on a here's the thing. You guys talk about this all the time on the Thinking Basketball podcast. You talk about floor raisers versus what's the ceiling raisers? ceiling raisers, right? I think Composo's floor raising is basically non-existent. Like you put him on the Pistons, he's doing nothing because he, he's not much of a scorer. But on a very high end team, I think this is a backup guard. I like him a lot. If I was any team in the NBA that had playoff aspirations, he seems like a probably a vet min guard that like could play 15 to 20 minutes. I think give you a little something. I'm going to level with you here. I strongly disagree. All right. I th- this is a player. I went back and I looked at my notes from, from nuggets games I watched and there's times like I would start off with some games and I'd be like, Oh, uh, Composo's interesting. Like he throws some nice passes once in a while. He's a dog on defense. He gets into people, he gets physical. And then I just keep watching and I'm like, what is this guy doing? Like, I just feel like he detracted from so many different places. And I think it can really stand out because he has some highlight passes. He has highlight defensive plays, but at the end of the day, like defensively, I think, I think it looks nice because of the number of deflections he can get in the steals and things like that. But he is so small. He just gets, he gets murdered in the, in the, in the paint. He can't offer any kind of protection above anyone that's above like a, a point guard and offensively, like he can more or less just be ignored and doesn't really offer true 
creation for everyone. So I think his really best skill is the fact that he has really good hands. Like he can dig at players in the post and get the ball once again, can throw a fancy pass. But ultimately I don't think this is a guy that has much utility on most good NBA teams. Okay. Utility. No, like you're, you're a hundred percent right. There's times where he gets switched on to like someone that is six, nine it's game over. You might as well start walking the other way on the court. Right. And that does happen. But for a vet men guy, that's going to play 17 minutes of like really bring the juice a little bit of playmaking. Like, you know, we talk about like secondary playmakers. He's like your fourth airy playmaker, right? Like you maybe, you know, you, you need to, you need to change the game up third quarter. You need to make a run. You get him in the game for a six minute spurt. He runs into someone. He gets under somebody's skin. He gets a deflection. Again, this is for a vet Ming guy. I, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to go down with the Composo ship. I'm, I'm a fan. I'm a fan. I'm going to let you. I'll, I'll sell you all my stock right now. You can take all of it. <laughs> all of it. Uh, all right. Uh, lastly, uh, the thing I wanted to get to on on this was, you know, we went through a bunch of players, right? We obviously uh, really like the NBA. <laughs> I'm in the basketball in- index database all the time. Um, I think watching films is pretty fun. Watching games is pretty fun. Uh, Cody, when you are when a player is brought to your attention, right? When someone is either, you know, me and you having a conversation before the show, or you see a nice clip on Twitter, uh, what is your kind of philosophy on the evaluation process of like how you're going to figure out how you feel about a guy? It's a, I think this is a really interesting question because there's only a, like every rookie that's going to be coming into the NBA I'm going to basically be starting from scratch. I know almost nothing about any of the rookies that are coming in. But if someone like brings up somebody, let's say somebody that's been in the league for three years, two years, four years, whatever else, it's it's very unlikely that I have no opinions about them already. So it's all about like updating my priors on them, right? So I, I go into it and I, I generally just like watch games. I'll take really deep notes on like certain games just so I can get a sense for most teams. And, you know, after a while, somebody might stand out because I'm like, oh, that was an interesting play. Like you were able to attack off the secondary action, make this really nice creation, um, this really nice pass or something like that. It's just something you can replicate. And so then I'll watch and see if they can replicate some of these things that I think are really high, uh, high value plays that they make. And if they don't keep play, keep doing those things, then I kind of back off. I'm like, okay, so maybe you're, you don't have that, but maybe you have the potential to do that. So I think that's it. It's just kind of like scanning a lot of the NBA, seeing who has these plays that stand out to me. And then, you know, I'll play around. I always like playing around with my spreadsheets too. I play around with basketball index quite a bit. See if they're highly ranked in anything in the leaderboards when it comes to defense, shooting, driving, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, So I think it's just kind of like, it's hard to boil it down and be like, this is my exact process, but it's just kind of like immersing myself in the film and data and see if anything starts popping out to me. Yeah, I I think I I really like what you said about like, uh, you're looking for someone doing something that they can replicate. I feel like that's probably the most important thing when I'm watching, you know, just watching a game. I'll, you know, I'm a big Laker fan, so I'll just be watching them play whoever. Right. And I'll see someone do something and I'll be like, okay. And like, if it's no, if it's uh, something I can kind of make a bullet point of, and then I'll be like, how many more bullet points in my head? I actually don't take notes. I've heard you talk about taking notes while watching games and I thought about doing it, but I never have, uh, I don't know, maybe I'll give it a shot next year. Um, But that thing of like, do you replicate doing, you know, 
you know, basic things or, you know, it's like, okay, is this person hitting threes? Is this person like, are they going to the post multiple times with, to this player? And is like, is it coming out, you know, coming away with points. And then I think the thing that's really hard for me is if there's a player like Alex Caruso was someone for me where like, there's so many times where he's just flying around doing something where like, do you remember the really famous putback dunk he had? He was in the corner. Somebody shoots a three and misses. He comes in, he throws it down and LeBron like can't wrap his head around what you just saw. It doesn't come to mind. I, I no, I don't know. Okay. This was a pretty famous play and it was on sports center a lot. Cause it was the Lakers. I'll send it to you. It's a, it's one of my yeah. favorite plays where it was one of those things where it's like that. <laughs> I don't think you can replicate that, but you do enough random things that makes the announcer say your name. And all of a sudden that's like another way I feel like that's like harder to quantify. That's something I'm kind of looking for. Like, are you just like making something happen every once in a while? But then when I'm, when I'm not watching the games, I have like a very, uh, I have the bullet points typed out here of like, this is what I do, right? So first thing, like you go to basketball reference and you're like, all right, does this person score over or under 10 points a game? Like just to get a feel of, you know, you could look at things like usage rating or things like that, but I just wanted like really the basics here. And then I go through the box score and just look for like any anomalies, right? Like, is there like a double digit assist? Is this person averaging like four offensive rebounds a game? Is something weird happening? And then uh, once I kind of just get like the basics of like, you know, how many years this guy's been in the league, you know, just basically what he does for the team in terms of like, you know, scoring, things like that. Uh, you know, I look at like true shooting plus to see what his efficiency is. And then I go to the BBI player profiles and same thing with just more granular look where it's like, all right, you can look at, you know, things like on ball defense, things like offensive rebounding talent. And again, just looking for things that pop, like things they're really good at or really bad at where it's like, all right, maybe this guy doesn't, you know, like Ben Simmons, where it's like, it's an easy one. It's like, okay, so he doesn't shoot threes. That's something we can just cross off in our head. Right. Uh, and then with at basketball index, it's like, okay, what's the passing creation volume? Is that like, is that like 90th percentile or higher? Like that's something to take note of. And then after that, I go to the BBI leaderboards, just look at career LeBron, uh, career uh, LeBron war, and just you know, sort of be like, well, what is this person's like impact value? Uh, and then after that, I might look for some specialty things like uh, we have three point talent, which takes into account like your creation, uh, what you're shooting over or under expected, kind of bakes that all into like three point shot difficulty, your finishing on ball defense, depending on what position you are. And then after that, I will either go and watch tape of that player if I have free time, or if not, I'll just kind of put all those cliff notes away in my head. And uh, next time I see that team, the player the team's on, I'll just look for be like, hey, are, are these things I've seen in the data? Are they are they really popping for me? But like that is like that compression of my bullet points right there is something that I've kind of worked out probably like, uh, I mean, since 2008, I've kind of been trying to refine that. And I feel like basketball index, you know, as a company, man, for just five dollars a month, you can have the player profiles and leaderboards right at your fingertips. Wow. Wow, you you wove in the plug and all that. That's really tremendous. Did I sell I you? Ask you? Did I sell you yeah. on it? I, I already have it, so you don't need to sell me on <laughs> it. I'm, I'm double sold, though. Let me ask you about a player. If I say the name Jeremy Evans, do you recognize that name? Jeremy Evans. Not it, in the NBA right now. It makes Jeremy. me think of, uh, for some reason, the guy that plays Hawkeye in the Marvel movies. I don't know why, but I don't think that's his name. <laughs> no. Wow. Jeremy uh, that's Evans. Jeremy Renner. I think it's Jeremy, Jeremy Renner. Renner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jeremy Evans. Was he a screen setting power forward? So he was a forward of sorts, small forward, power forward. Anyway, here's my point with Jeremy Evans. 
So Jeremy Evans played in like early 2010s and whatever else. And in my humble opinion, Jeremy Evans is like a top five all-time regular season, no context play in NBA history. There's a play where I don't remember who it is, <laughs> but he's playing for the Jazz. And somebody's setting up to take an 18-footer, and he comes in, and this dude is all length. I think his nickname was like the Pogo Stick or something like that. I think he was in a dunk contest once upon a, a good time. Nickname. He comes in all length, everywhere. Swatch this jump shot, right? He swats the jump shot. He gets the rebound. He takes it down the court. And then the person that hustles down to try and stop him, he just posterizes them <laughs> all in one play. And you watch this play, and you're like – is Jeremy Evans literally the best basketball player in the NBA? And the answer <laughs> is decidedly not even remotely. And I think this is this is a really difficult balance that Twitter goes through. It's like you can only tweet one video at a time. So I think <laughs> people can get really excited about specific plays that somebody makes. And I think this is, I'm going to get on my teacher soapbox for a second, but I think this is the really important part about taking notes is you can, you can fall in love with some plays that somebody makes. Composo is a great example. You can fall in love with a lot of discreet things that he does. Oh, I'm in but love, then, baby. When you start like really diving in, paying attention, you're like, hold up. What about all these other things that are going on? All right. So that's to me like the Jeremy Evans sort of play. Like don't, don't, don't necessarily fall in love with those, those single plays. Right. And I think your process that you just talked about, you have this really inclusive way that you look at all these other things. And I think that's an excellent way, but I think that's, that's a, a warning signal I send to people that scroll through Twitter is like when people try and contextualize or try and draw conclusions about a player from a single play, watch out from that. See if they have other stuff backing that up. See if they've put together any other work that, that puts together more evidence that they can do this sort of thing. And even go in and watch the player yourself. And, and you know, I, I'm a huge advocate for taking notes. I think everyone should take more notes everywhere because the human mind kind of sucks. It honestly kind of sucks. <laughs> it, it, it needs a little help. Uh, I, 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 you are correct. You are Mr. Mr. Hodek. Is that what they, they call you in the classroom? Yes, that is what they call me in the classroom. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah, I, I, I feel like we could actually, you know, I, we're, we've gone on for a very long time. I, I could probably talk to you about basketball for like the next five hours, but yeah. your time is valuable. Uh, we should maybe do an episode in the future on like, you could maybe give a detailed breakdown on like, you know, maybe like advanced note taking of watching the games because I've never done it. And I feel like you mm. probably have some shortcuts to uh, save some time. You know, I think the interesting thing about note taking that too is like I, I never want to be too prescriptive about it. And that's that's a thing that like teachers even fall into this trap where they kind of be like, this is the best note taking style. But the best note taking style is like the best fitness style, which is like the best diet style. It's the one that you're going to adhere to and the one that you're going to follow the best. So it's it's more like here's some places you can go here's some templates but you kind of have to make it in the way that you are going to make sense of so i'd i'd happily talk about my process more but i don't want anyone to think that i'm going to stand like on top of a mountain and be like this is the only way to take notes because i have other very smart people i talk to in my life who are like yeah i take notes completely different and i'm like great that's awesome for you yeah that makes sense uh because yeah kind of kind of like uh like just sort of guidelines you know mm -hmm. it's like you're exactly. an english teacher right you can't tell people you know how to write Right. You got to let them. Yeah. You got to let them, you know, kind of sort it out for themselves. Explore the studio space, as the uh, the people like to say. <laughs> but you, but all the words probably should be spelled right. Yeah. <laughs> One would hope. All right. So this is a tradition. I'm going to start on this episode. I'm really I forgot to ask Chip uh, last episode. Uh, who is your pickup basketball? What is your pickup basketball player comparison? Um, I would probably say and it, it, it's almost too bad because you had too good of a playoffs. 
So I don't want to say I'm like 2022 version playoffs of this guy. But in general, I think my style is kind of Al Horfordy, right? I don't have a lot of juice off the dribble, but I can do some stuff off the dribble. You know, I'm an, I'm a much better secondary passer. I'm not going to be the main driver, but I love defense, man. I love switching out. I love protecting the rim. I love doing all that kind of thing. So I think like a, an Al Horford-ish sort of play style is my sort of vibe. Al Horford, that's a good comment. You can stretch it out a little bit. Yeah, exactly. If I if I get nice and open, I can shoot threes, but I'm a lot more comfortable from like 18 foot. I have, I have a nice little 18 foot game. Solid passer, low turnover rate, I'm guessing. Yeah, I would like to say that a, a physical defender, you know, not to not to build myself up too much, but I, I take pride in my defense right now. How tall are you? Uh, six, three. I am. OK, all right. I'm six, one and three quarters, but I say I'm six, two in socks. I mean, you totally should. That'd be silly not to say you're six, two dating profiles. I'm six, three. Um, but, uh, okay. Yeah, no, I like that. I think that's that's somebody, you know what that is? That's somebody that other people want to play with. Yeah. And I I think that's really important. Cause I would be okay. I I like, obviously I like taking shots and I like creating stuff, but I'm, I'm totally okay. If I get, if I end up with someone on my team who takes a lot of shots, I'm like, great. That means I can set him up. Um, I can run around. I can set lots of screens. I can pass around. This, this sounds like code for saying that I'm just trash at basketball. (laughs) Um, I would like to think I'm not trash. I'm not making any scholarships, you know, especially since I'm approaching 30 at this point. But, uh, you know, I, I can join, I can go out there and join a group of people playing basketball. My dream is to uh, have all of the NBA Twitter basketball people play in a like small basketball pickup like tournament. That would be incredible. I would love that so much. That would be I think at basketball index. I think we'd have a little bit of a squad because I'm pretty sure Tim played basketball and was like pretty sounds it sounded like he was pretty good. Um, all right. You ready for my uh, you ready for my player comparison? Give me your comp. All right, so this is gonna we're we're going back. We're going back to like 2008, 2009. Nick Collison. Oh wow. Okay. I'm doing a lot of what if there was a coach there, they would be like, all right, yeah, this guy's fun. I'm getting minutes. I'm I'm a negative athlete. I am I actually have a I'm I'm six <laughs> about six two. I have a negative wingspan for I'm oh, like I think no. my wingspan's like six foot six one. And uh but I'll tell you what, never has anybody set more devastating screens in northern the northern San Diego County area. You are getting absolutely <laughs> stonewalled by me. Oh, do I got a shooter on my team? Because like he's just he's flaring out to the three point line and I'm sneak. That's the key to setting screens. You got to sneak up on guys. They don't even know you're there. And then boom, uh, setting a lot of screens, uh, getting a few putbacks and just generally Oh, 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 does this person need to reset their dribble? Give it to me. I'll give it to you right back. I'm I'm, I'm a master at that. I'm at the post or sorry, I'm at the elbow. Oh, you need to dribble back. Just give it to me right back. I I, I know where the ball needs to go. This is good. I I like that comp. I like the honesty of saying you're like Nick Collison. Yeah, especially like every once in a while you've this has not happened very often, but like be like somebody like somebody rocked the rim at this pickup game. That's when I just go home. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> i'm not in that it's happened a few times doesn't happen a lot in san diego happened a few times and i was like all right time that out i don't need well, to get hurt I, you know not to, not to get <clears throat> a little too braggy but i do have two in-game dunks to my to my name oh do you that sir is impressive it's been it's been it's been a few years since i've rocked a rim in a game though but uh you know if the wind is right maybe i could do it in an empty gym right now okay all right also if you could take charges and pick up i would be i wouldn't be i wouldn't be kyle lowry but i think i could get somebody every once in a while 
Oh, don't do that. Don't be that guy. Oh, no, That's I'm not doing it. Oh, I'm not doing it. I'm saying if, if we lived in a parallel universe and you could take charges, I think I could sneak one in every once in a while. Okay. Just okay. fold I like respect, a chair. I respect the grind. Uh, all right, Cody, please uh, plug anything you have. Yeah, for sure. So the main thing I'm over on thinking basketball, uh, you know, Ben does all the YouTube podcasting stuff. I'm kind of like the I like to say I'm the Draymond Green to a Steph Curry on the podcast. I'm there. <laughs> I try and set them up as much as I can, try and do the fundamental things as much as I can. Um, and then on my own, I have a Patreon. It's just patreon.com backslash Cody Hodek. Uh, I do a weekly solo pod there. I'm up to like 35 episodes at this point. A lot of historical stuff, a lot of random team building kinds of things. And then I have a lot of my uh, my game notes from the seasons. I think I ended up with uh, about 75 games, not full games necessary, but I have 75 games that I took notes on and posted on Patreon from last season, including uh, at least some notes from every game in the finals. So, um, yeah, that's where you can find a lot of my stuff is, is over on Patreon and the rest of it's on Thinking Basketball. All right. Fantastic. All right, Cody, thank you for joining me. I had a blast talking about free agency. Uh, my name is Taylor, and we'll see you on next week's episode of the Basketball Index podcast. <laughs>